our aerospace industry is strong, is resilient. The Velocity Podcast is brought to you by management consulting firm Oliver Wyman. This episode features Jerome Bouchard and Ken Arso as they return for the third edition of Aerospace Recovery post-COVID-19. If you haven't already, have a listen to parts one and two. Thank you, and we hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the Oliver Wyman Velocity Podcast. I'm Ken Osso, a partner at Oliver Wyman, and I'm also joined by Jerome Bouchard, delighted to be continuing the conversation around the aerospace recovery following COVID-19 with my good friend, Jerome. Jerome, you're also a partner at Oliver Wyman and based in Toulouse, France. How are things going? Well, thank you, Ken. And first of all, that's great to hear you on this podcast. Indeed, I am in Toulouse, as you know, and well, I'm not sure the morale is as high as I would expect, but things are going relatively well. And how about you, Ken? You're in Seattle. Yeah, it's fun that you live in Toulouse and I live in Seattle, two great aerospace cities. In Seattle, obviously, it's just been an unprecedented year, like every other city around the world, particularly during the spring and summer months. And of course, within aerospace, it was just hit tremendously. I'm reminded that Seattle is a different city than it was in prior decades because the tech industry now is such a force in Seattle, the Puget Sound area. Microsoft, Amazon, and other businesses headquartered here in insurance, retail, and services. It has been lights out for many of these industries. That has really helped to buttress the economy and insulate things here in the region. How about yourself? What has life been like in Toulouse over the spring, summer, and fall? Yes, I wish I could tell the same about the diversification of Seattle. Here in Toulouse, the truth is that the city is heavily depending on aerospace. Of course, it's not only the commercial aerospace here in Toulouse. We have a lot of satellite industry. We have defense industry as well. Although aerospace is really the heart of the economy, we have not been that badly hit. And since Airbus is a large company, and that the French state has been quite lenient with subsidies, overall, the economic situation is okay. The question that we will touch base on this podcast is when and how fast and which altitude we will recover, but certainly we have a high confidence in the aerospace industry capability to regain altitude and to come back to a certain cruise level Maybe not the one that it has just before the crisis, but definitely to move out of this turbulent area that we are in at the moment. The previous podcast episode Ken and I hosted was recording in July of 2020. So I'm happy we are able to connect again and take a look at the issues the aerospace industry faces today and how our interpretation of the pandemic crisis have evolved since then. I couldn't agree more with Jerome, and I'm looking forward to an interesting discussion as well. Following a recent Oliver Wyman survey, we're also going to be covering the changing attitudes for travelers and just how confident and comfortable they feel getting back into the skies. I'm excited to talk about this because this is the second in a series of traveler sentiment surveys that we have conducted. 
and this one being about four or five months following the first one that we did in around May with very interesting evolving results. Then we will discuss the short and long-term airline traffic recovery scenarios and compare the implication and contrasts between an accelerated or a prolonged recovery. We will also touch upon our in-service fleet forecasts and retirements and the challenges for the aerospace supply chain dealing with profound mismatches between its production schedule and customer demand. Then we will discuss the MRO aftermarket. Well, Ken, it seems that we have a very robust discussion ahead. Uh, it is certainly remarkable to see how the aerospace industry has reacted to the crisis. Let's start discussing the overall airline situation, Ken. As you know, we are tracking very closely the traffic figures and forecasts with our IATA partnerships. And the figures we are seeing are, of course, better than in April, where we were at something like minus 76% of ISM overall, but still they are not great, still down by 58% from 2019 year-to-year figures, and that's in October. But there is a lot of geographical disparity in the global average. Would you like to comment that for us, Ken? Yeah, it is interesting and also somewhat painful to see that the recovery is going a lot slower than our optimistic model we shared in the spring. It's now an accepted fact that we're not going to be seeing a V-shaped recovery. It's more like a U-shaped or an elongated U-shaped recovery that's much more realistic now. And that's, of course, unfortunate for both the aviation market and for aerospace manufacturers and suppliers as well. What's interesting to me is that as of today, North America and Western Europe are in similar places. They're both down dramatically in terms of traffic. But in China, it's interesting to see how they're progressing. And I guess using the metric of flight hours globally, we've seen about 6 million flight hours per month over the last one and a half years. And since the April bottom, where it was about 75% down, flight hours have increased. And specifically in China, we've already seen 99% of the fleet recovery and 93% of the utilization recovery in terms of hours as measured in flight hours against the region's 2019 average. So we are seeing some signs of recovery and accelerated recovery around the world, despite the fact that in North America and in Western Europe, it is and will continue to be slow. Moving on to our traveler sentiment survey, Jerome, any initial insights and observations around the second survey? Well, I think the main insight is very positive for our industry, Ken, that more and more passengers are comfortable traveling, so that's good. Across all regions, we have seen some increase by 7 to 10 points on being comfortable uh, traveling. And among that, taking a flight provide, let's say, the most comfort to people who are traveling. And that's a very good news for our industry and for the airlines. The other point was about special air filtration. Do you want to tell us a couple of words about that, Ken? Yeah, Jerome, it was interesting that 91% of our survey respondents selected cleaning-related safety measures in the top three. Surface cleaning, special air filtration that comes on board the aircraft, as well as policies including mandatory mask wearing on board. These are really important safety measures for the airline ridership. 
producing proof of negative COVID tests was actually far lower. Only 23% said it was among the most important safety measures. It was very interesting to see that. Well, Ken, it's time that we touch a very important element of airline recovery. Could you tell us, Ken, which are our main scenarios most likely to be happening? We have an amazing market intelligence and forecasting team led by Ian Reagan, and it's something that we do as a firm a couple of times a year. But in a case like this, given COVID, the team actually revised and revisited the underlying assumptions of the forecast many, many times in 2020. I think that we're still in the middle of it, frankly, but our best guess at this point is really a full-fledged recovery will be sometime in the middle to the end of 2022. We've also developed recovery scenarios around the 75% level and the 90% level as well, which we believe will materialize sometime around late next year with some variation from region to region. But in terms of returning to pre-COVID levels, it's going to be several years. There's going to be some regions that lag that, and of course, some regions that we mentioned before, like China, that are going to be reaching those levels ahead of time. And it will be later from the standpoint of aircraft production versus airline traffic that I just mentioned. But I think the baseline of what we believe as a firm is that it's going to be another couple of years before we reach a recovery. What are your thoughts on that, Jerome? I agree with you, Ken. I think, unfortunately, our perspective on the airline traffic recovery have shifted a bit since last time we talked. I do agree that, unfortunately, we will not come back to 80% of the 2019 airline traffic before 2022, that's for sure. And that above these 80%, the road to come back to 100% of what was 2019 traffic will be long and relatively flat. So, of course, region by region, as you were mentioning, Ken, we will have some diversity. Asia and China have already picked up a lot of growth and are back on track, but the rest of the world is a sort of lagging behind. But still, there are, I think, a few certainties on that. It's a domestic flight and short-haul flights will be the first one to recover. And long-range will take definitely longer. Yeah, Jerome, I think that's spot on. And I think that from a wide-body traffic standpoint, it has just been a lot worse. Of course, international travel is very difficult to do these days without a passport of the native country that you're traveling to. Borders are just simply closed right now by and large. And so that's an unfortunate consequence for wide-body traffic because that's, of course, the most lucrative segment of air travel for operators. But we are on an upswing, particularly in narrow-body, and we're seeing a lot more domestic travel picking up across all regions of the world. I guess that leads me to a question, Jerome. What is your opinion? Have we reached the bottom of the cycle and are we on the upswing or do you feel like there's a lot more fallout to come? I think we have reached the bottom at the very beginning of the summer. And I hope from what I see, this is already confirmed, we will never come back to levels like minus 75% of uh, traffic. I was hoping that after the summer break, we were on a slight increase of traffic still 
maybe like a plateau due to the winter IATA season. Unfortunately, at least from a Europe perspective, that is not happening. And we are seeing a very small and light W shape to take place, but that's only in Europe and uh, largely compensated on a global basis by China and Asia. But definitely we have a stable airline traffic expected until the next IATA season, which is March, April 2021. Do you have a different perspective, Ken? I do feel like we've hit the bottom, particularly from the standpoint of global aviation traffic and the in-service fleet. At the beginning of 2020, we had almost 28,000 aircraft in the in-service fleet. And at the worst of it, which was April 2020, the in-service fleet was only 12,500 aircraft. The vast majority of the airplanes were parked in that month. And since that time, we've seen the bulk of those aircraft return to service. In the springtime, we were projecting that there would be well over 2,400 aircraft that would be retired early over the course of 2021. What are the implications of early retirements this year as a result of COVID? I believe that these aircraft are flying less than what they used to be flying before the COVID, that the number of cycle per aircraft is more limited than what it used to be. My overall take is, yes, the in-service fleet is growing and recovering. Still, if we take a 10-year perspective and look at what would be the forecast for 2030, we're still seeing that 5,000 aircraft, more or less, will not be produced over the decade. And that's a direct effect of the COVID situation. So our industry will still be growing, but it will grow slower than expected and it will not be recovering uh, the volumes that we had originally expected in 2019. If we take a look at the mix of aircraft retired, uh, we clearly see that the prediction of retirement for long-range aircraft and especially four-engine aircraft has been confirmed. Do you want to tell us a bit more about the mix of retirement, Ken? Yeah, the retirements are less than what we had originally estimated. It's clear that it's going to be a huge year for retirements with implications for partouts for these services or material, which also have implications on how airlines and MROs look at material consumption and their preferences across material types. There's also a lot of downstream implications, particularly in the aftermarket around distribution, MRO, and then material choices. We look at it in terms of wide body versus narrow body split, and it's clear that from a wide body standpoint, they're being hit much worse just because the percentage of wide body aircraft that are retired is much more significant relative to the base. There is one bright spot there in the cargo market. Cargo traffic, of course, is growing and sustaining the industry quite well. And so for 767, A330s, 777s, and other freighter aircraft, that is a bright spot. You also see that there is a significant hit for the A320 and the 737. We've seen significant early retirements in 2020. And as a result of that, we're seeing a lot of challenges in terms of pricing for new services or material availability or resourcing material. 
There's also certain classes of material where the demand has always been pretty significant. And so there are some small segments of the market that are sustaining their traditional pricing levels. But in general, we're seeing lower USM prices, and there's frankly a lot of compounding issues across the aftermarket, unfortunately. Let's stay on the using serviceable material, Ken, because I know that's a topic of choice for you. We had a publication that expected a tsunami of using serviceable material parts. Do you see that wave coming in? It has become clear that a lot of airlines are delaying decisions to officially retire the aircraft from the fleet permanently and are choosing instead to have their aircraft parked on a long-term basis, preserving the optionality while they wait for a potential market recovery. A PPE money and other government forms of support help to create that optionality, but eventually those aircraft will be retired. It will have an impact over the next two or three years, and many of the USM specialists are preparing to aggressively acquire engines and hold aircraft over the next months to years when they expect a lot of materials to come onto the market. We also have assessed the potential mismatch in airplane production and airplane deliveries to challenge aerospace supply chains. I'm wondering, uh, Jerome, what you're seeing on that. No, there is definitely a mismatch, Ken, and there are a lot of uh, white tails that are produced uh, both by Airbus and Boeing, of course. We estimate the number of those white tails at about 250 aircrafts. That's what we can see on the market and across the two main manufacturers. This gap between production and delivery will, of course, be compensated in the years to come. So those white tails will be progressively introduced into the delivery system, and that will take up until 2024 to actually clean the backlog of these white tails. But more interestingly, we are seeing that the delivery situation of Airbus and of Boeing is quite different at the moment. Airbus announced for the month of October 72 deliveries which was quite unexpected back in spring when we were talking together. And that's a very good performance, of course. The booming side is a little bit more challenge at the moment. And that may start to give some early signs of exiting the crisis in a better condition for the European player rather than the, the US player very early to claim who's going to be, you know, leading the recovery at that stage. But those early signs are here. Let's talk a little bit about the long-term consequences, Jerome. Airbus is forecasted to maintain its status as the market leader for aircraft deliveries throughout the decade. What do you think are going to be the implications for Airbus versus Boeing, as well as for their broader supply chains? The first one I could mention is that there will be much fewer programs that are actually produced and delivered. So the main deliveries will be the 320 family for Airbus with the 321 XLR that will over the decade become one of the best sellers of their commercial aviation worldwide. I see also a large consolidation for Airbus white body around the A350, 900 most probably. And of course, there is the A220, largely produced as well in North America for this market that will become a strong seller 
in the Airbus portfolio. I think that the rate of production for Airbus will be quite re-ramping up soon because if you take the official figures that were claimed, we will be already over 500 uh, single ale expected to be delivered in 2021. So we'll see if that prediction materializes. But that will be already a game changer for the supply chain because obviously uh, ramping down as they ramped down in 2020 and re-ramping up to rate 47 for the second half of 2021 on the Airbus 320 will be a huge challenge. And that will question the sustainability and the resilience of these actors. Because as you know very well, Ken, in our industry, the stop and go is very bad and very difficult to manage from an industrial and a financial standpoint. And what are the U.S. and North American perspective on the same question regarding supply chain and its sustainability over the next years? Yeah, particularly for the North American supply chain that is very Boeing-centric, there's a lot of concerns because, of course, the Boeing supply chain was much more heavily exposed given the situation associated with the 737 MAX in 2019. And so one analysis was a chart on global deliveries of aircraft over the next decade and in the past decade. And the industry has in the past been a duopoly where Boeing and Airbus have each enjoyed around 40% share each with the remaining 15 or 20% shared among all the other OEMs. But it's clear that Airbus is forecasted to maintain its status as the market leader for new aircraft for the next decade. And what's striking to me is that Boeing will have less than 20% of the total deliveries for the first time ever, ever in 2020. And over the next 10 years, Boeing will maintain probably around a third of the market share with 50% of market share for Airbus and the remaining 15 or so percent shared by all of the others over the course of the 2020s. Well, Jerome, it looks as though this may be all the time that we have for today. It's been wonderful speaking with you. And I personally hope that when we record the next Velocity podcast, we will be pointing out green shoots and new areas of growth for the industry. Absolutely. Can I also want to conclude on a very positive note because I'm conscious that we have not always brought some good news to our listeners today. But our aerospace industry is strong, is resilient. It's a global industry. People will need and like to travel. I am sure the traffic figures will go up again. And consequently, will the industrial side, the aircraft manufacturing and the positive impact on the supply chain. So I'm, I'm very optimistic in the mid and to long term. Thank you, Ken, for this discussion. It's always a pleasure to exchange, compare our Toulouse and Seattle perspectives. Thank you so much. And if any of our listeners would like to cover a specific topic, please do get in touch. We were delighted to hear from our listeners following our previous episodes. Thank you for writing into the show. And in the future, you can contact us at Oliver Wyman on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks. Speak soon.